Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 499. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2021, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting more than 20 U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $9 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers annually, providing competitive salaries and benefits to 240 team members in Watsonville, California, and Miami, Florida. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. For each podcast episode this year, we'll also thank three of our major sponsors. Our first thanks goes to Mayesh, Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and seasonal and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. I'm excited about today's guest, not only because her enterprise is located right in my backyard in Tacoma, Washington, but also because she's doing something really cool with plants and flowers. Please meet Catherine Raz of The Fern Seed. The Fern Seed is a modern plant shop and floral studio with two storefront locations in Tacoma. This boutique is home to lush, verdant, uncommon plants for home interiors, and floral bouquets and vase arrangements for the home and gift giving. I love how clearly Catherine states the Fernsey's services on her website. Beautiful houseplants, handmade pots, local flowers, and daily delivery. Catherine launched the Fernseed in 2018 as an online store that sold unique handmade designs for potting and displaying houseplants, and she opened the first brick-and-mortar location in April of 2019. She'll share how the Fern Seed was forced to close for nearly three months during the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, during which Catherine and her team launched nationwide shipping, local delivery, and several new product offerings, including plant grams and plant-along-at-home kits. In September of 2020, the Fern Seed opened its second storefront location on Tacoma's historic South Tacoma Way. The shop now offers a floral stem bar and floral arrangements for grab-and-go pickup, and local delivery, 60% of which include flowers sourced from small flower farms in Washington, Idaho, California, Oregon, and British Columbia. Between them, Catherine and her all-female team own and care for more than 400 houseplants in their personal collections. Visit DebraPrinzing.com for episode 499 to see photos and find links and all the social places for The Fernseed and Catherine Raz. I know you'll love her journey as she has evolved and expanded organically, sustaining her business against the challenges of a global pandemic and emerging stronger on the other side. Let's jump right in and get started. 
Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I'm so excited today to introduce Catherine Raz, owner of The Fern Seed in Tacoma, Washington. She's a Slow Flowers member. We've never met in person. We're doing this over Zoom, but we're kind of neighbors. So it's so great to uh, see you on the screen and to welcome you, Catherine. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Catherine, I've, I love the name of your business. You've kind of been on my radar because uh, I started following you immediately after uh, the Fernseed joined Slow Flowers. But before we get started, can you describe the name? Like, wh- what is the influence of that name? Um, it's, it, it says plants with, and it says gardening and growing, but it's not super obvious. It's a great name. Yeah, thank you. Um, the name is a Scandinavian legend, or there's um, like a Norse legend or early English or something, a myth about essentially like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, if somebody finds a fern seed, because we all know that ferns spawn from spores, not seeds. Uh, sometimes we'll get people coming in and explaining that to us. <laughs> uh, hey, ladies, did you know? Um, but the, the idea is that if you find the seed of a fern on the summer solstice, you can achieve invisibility. Um, oh, or I love that. Yeah. And so then I also really liked it because um, I have a background in marketing and specifically search engine optimization. And um, it was a it was a word that was easily Googleable. Like we could have we were the number one ranking term and Google for the fern seed. So I picked it also for that reason. Oh, it does. It does have a little bit of a mythology kind of uh, storybook vibe now that you describe it. Uh, because it's related to the solstice, do you do anything special on the summer solstice in which is usually what June twenty first? Yeah, well, we tried to last year, but of course we were just reopening post-COVID and we were like, well, we can't really have an event. Um, but this year we are, we're going to do sort of like a midsummer. Do you know the film Midsummer? We want to do kind of like a midsummer homage with flowers and do some floral crowns and some really fun stuff around the solstice. Oh, I uh, love that. that. It's so it's so apropos. I love that. I am a long time garden writer. And I do think it's pretty symbolic that I gave birth to one child on the spring solstice or the spring equinox and birth to my second, my oldest child on the summer solstice. So I, uh, maybe I'll come and celebrate uh, his birthday when I come to see you on I love it. June We're 21st. Do something fun. Well, describe the fern seed. Um, wh- give us a snapshot of your business. And um, I know it's, it's relatively young, about two years old, right? Right. We're about to hit our two-year anniversary, which I keep thinking is our three-year anniversary because it feels like this past year was two years packed into a single year, (laughs) but just two years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we have two locations. We're based in Tacoma, Washington. Our first location opened in April of 2019 um, in Proctor, and we have a second location now on South Tacoma Way. And we sell a mix of houseplants, all indoor and then pots and vases, mostly handmade by artists from all around the country and a lot of local ceramic artists. And then we just started uh, last fall launching into flowers and trying to source as many of our, uh, as much of our floral locally um, from the region. And then we launched into doing delivery and, you know, special orders and that kind of thing. 
Well, I noticed you kind of have this this um, reader board uh, or leaderboard uh, running script on your website that says beautiful house plants, handmade pots, local flowers, daily delivery. And I love the way you sort of capture capture all those things that you want people to know about when they visit your website uh, if if they found you on that search engine uh, term. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you had, uh, before you opened brick and mortar, you all, you ran the business, uh, online. Is that, is that the, well, did I read that correctly? Yeah, I did it for a little while online, um, just to try to launch into it. And I will say that like, if I, I did talk to some people from like score and the SBA and their recommendation, you know, was, Hey, start lean, like try to do this a little bit online and launch an e-commerce. And I would say that that is not great advice because I have a little bit of an e-commerce background and they're just two different animals. I think you can't really learn anything about what the brick and mortar experience is from doing something online. Um, but we, I did like start reaching out to makers, um, early, just asking about different designs. Like I was looking for people that did really interesting designs for, for things that held plants and, um, you know, did hanging plant stuff and that kind of thing. So that's, I started to do that research and then I thought it helps to have a website so that you seem legit. If you're reaching out to somebody on Etsy, just asking them to wholesale their stuff to you. Yeah. yeah. They're going to want to check you out and see that you, uh, you know, have a, a, a legitimate business. That makes sense. Right. Um, so you did have the website before you opened the brick and mortar. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm. Was your goal all along though, to move into brick and mortar? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. I mean, that's been my goal uh, for a long time. Like I've been doing digital marketing for, you know, a little over a decade and doing freelance writing and that kind of stuff. And I had a moment, you know, like a couple years ago, right after I had my second kid and I was just like, I just want to have a store. I just want to open a store because I love the brick and mortar experience. So yeah, I was always trying to get it to go there. Oh, that's cool. So when you opened the Fern Seed, the first location, um, what was the square footage and, and uh, describe, like it was a intensively plant centric at the time. Flowers weren't part of the mix, right? Right. They weren't. We started, so really one of the things that I wanted to focus on when I first was launching the store was just home design, right? I wanted to do like the beginning. So I'm, I lived in Chicago for 20 years and Crate and Barrel launched in Chicago, but like in the late sixties, and they were a completely different store in the late sixties than they are today. It was just these, you know, this couple that started a home design store. And I always loved that idea, but today I felt like in a tiny storefront, which is what I can afford rent wise, we can't do what Crate and Barrel did back then, or can't compete with them today or any of the other like West Elm. And I thought, what makes that special? Like what makes it so that you are Amazon proof or online proof, um, or people still want to come in and have a physical experience. And as I was starting the nebulous idea of like, what would I sell and what would I curate? I was moving into my new house and just buying a bunch of house plants. And I found the experience to be difficult because there's places that have really good plants. And then there's some, some places where you can get cool pots, but I was finding like the, the coolest plant pot designs that I wanted were either online or maybe at a craft fair. And I thought, Hey, that's a simple little combo that we could make into a real store. Um, but I have to say when we launched, like I didn't know a third of what I know now about plants. I really didn't. I was like, Hey, you know, I know enough. I have a green thumb. Like I've been keeping house plants a lot. 
whoa, my mind was blown. I learned so much in the first like three months of doing the business. <laughs> well, you have, I mean, they're not as perishable as cut flowers. So you have a no, little oh, bit gosh, of no. a, a forgiveness there. like A little runway. Yeah. Wow. But I do think that that's a, a great um, combination of some, like a hard good, soft good kind of thing where the, the vessels and the accessories um, put you in that home decor category. But your addition of houseplants kind of helps people personalize what they do with that, that home decor. Yeah. Respond to what, what they love or what their light conditions are or their style. So you kind of help them put their own look together. Yeah, we do. I mean, we really emphasize the, the way that certain plants look in certain pot designs. And I think that's like the, the best experience that people can have at our shop is that, you find a plant that just really pops color wise off of a, you know, like we, I just did something where it was like a um, moonlight philodendron and like this rusty terracotta pot. And it just like, it looks really good. Like it's a color pop, you know, and you have that with floral too, right? Mm -hmm. The different contrasts and the color wheel and all that Mm -hmm. and, and the different shapes and design. And so we like stuff that looks really structural. um, And that's a little bit different. Right, right. Like the, the you've got the architecture uh, or sculpture uh, component to the leaf shape or the vase shape. Yeah, um, I I love that you said you didn't you didn't know it. You know, a, you knew less than a third of what you know now about plants because I you have a very funny thing on your website where you introduce your team and you talk about how um, together all of you own or more than four hundred plants. Uh, in your personal collections and that everyone found their jobs on Craigslist. So how did, did you advertise for plant people with plant knowledge when you're trying to build your team? (laughs) No, in the beginning, um, I really did post to Craigslist because I think that really interesting and creative people are trying to find work on Craigslist all the time. Um, And I know that, you know, when I was young and living in the city, it was always just the place I'd like just scroll looking for oh, what cool thing could be out there. So, um, you know, just put an ad on Craigslist asking for people that had experience in retail and explained what we were doing. But really what I look for were people who um, could handle chaos. <laughs> and that really paid off. I mean, one of the people who um, I hired had less retail experience, but had worked for FEMA. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And just her level of preparedness for anything really came in handy during COVID, you know? Oh my goodness. Oh, we're shipping plants now. All right. That's great. How do we do it? Oh my gosh. You could never have predicted that that was going to be a skill set you needed. No. And you know, I, I still, to this day, I don't hire based on plant knowledge because I'm like, people have the same 10 questions about plants and that can be learned. But what can't be learned is when the ceiling caves in because the people upstairs have a toilet leak. You're the person who knows exactly who to call and what to do in that situation. <laughs> and nobody can train for that, but that's what brick and mortar is. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have a friend who who used to be the executive producer at the local uh, CBS affiliate. And she, I remember her telling me she hired an intern because the, the young woman had run the, the sorority pledge uh, program for her whole university. And Car- my friend Carrie was like, that's the kind of person I need to be executive producer who can like look at all these moving parts and make it uh, a pr- happen on time. And I thought, okay, well, 
Okay, that's that's a creative hiring strategy. Uh, but it, she was as a manager could could translate those skills, and that sounds like what you're doing, uh, looking for the right secret sauce <laughs> of the right person. That's, yeah, I think it's distilling what you really want from people into certain elements of character or preparedness mm-hmm. that. It's not just about, hey, do you know a lot about house plants or have you ever potted a plant before? It's about figuring out if a person, you know, we we have a free potting service. So when people buy a plant and a pot together, we'll pot it on the spot. And so one of the things I look for is like, have you ever done, had to learn a skill or done something performatively in a job in front of people mm. that was meant to delight them, right? Mm. So if you've worked in a restaurant and you've deboned a fish at a table and you know, you're so nervous the first couple of times you're doing it, you're like, I'm really going to screw this up. Um, but those are the kinds of experiences that we've kind of figured out over the years, like over the two years, yes. it seems like it's been five, but, um, that really prepare people for the kind of work that we're doing. Cause it's a plant shop is not exactly a business that, you know, it's not something that a lot of people have experience working in. Right. Right. And mainly because if they, uh, if they're my age and they have experience, they worked in a, at that shop in the eighties and now, right. and then those shops went by the wayside. And I don't know, a lot of them I remember when I was in college were like, um, like secretly selling supplies for growing your own cannabis, but they portrayed themselves <laughs> as, as like a house pet. They had the lights and all the shelves and like, it was not a pretty shop. It was like a supply shop. And right. <laughs> you're, you've got a lifestyle going on. That's um, that's that as you went back to the term experience and performance and delight, like this is a environment you want people to come in and stay in when they, when they walk through the door. Right. Yeah. We want people to feel like, you know, it's been really difficult right now, you know, I think wearing masks and just dealing with everything that's happening, but our goal has always just been to delight people and to Mm. provide something that you can't really get from a big chain. You know, I mean, we can't compete in some ways on price. We can't compete on uh, variety sometimes, but we can compete on experience and we can compete on giving people a little local niche feel. And that's sort of what we aim to do. I don't know if we always achieve it, but I think we aim to do it. Uh, Oh my gosh. I have so many questions. What are the square, what is the square footage of the original store? And what is the square footage of the second store that you opened last fall? The square footage of our original store is 750. Um, so it's tiny. Yeah. And then the new store is like maybe 1050, but we also have a huge back room that matches that square footage and like a 400 square foot garage space, uh, that opens up and we can use that for workshops, classes, and events. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, great. And so as things open up more, having that workshop space with a garage and like airflow and light and kind of, uh, but also shelter that makes it really fu- functional, for that category of customer who wants to come in and take a workshop. Yeah. And we tried to do workshops in the beginning in the 750 square foot (laughs) space, but we were like clearing people out on a Sunday morning, like finish your macrame project. We have customers coming in now. And it was kind of a nightmare. So, but we know people want those experiences too, because we're always being asked to host workshops or can we do them? Or can we do like a basic potting class or something? And now we can accommodate. So you're kind of migrating those, uh, experiential events over to the larger space um, once you really build out your calendar. Yeah. And they're not that far from each other, right? They're not, which is a little tricky. Um, 
you know, it's, we're trying to figure out how do we differentiate the two, right? We only sell flowers out of the one. And the reason that we opened that one was because we needed the space. Oh, the second location. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I was looking for like warehouse space. I didn't even think we would open up a second storefront, but looking for a space that had natural light and the kind of like, you need a freight elevator and, um, you know, all of the little elements that we needed in order to sell plants and prep flowers out of that space. It was like on the dollar amount that I'm going to spend per square foot, the cheapest is a store. It's a retail storefront. Wow. Wow. So that's kind of why we ended up opening a second location and just decided to keep it in Tacoma since we all live here and it's close to our houses. Well, um, Tacoma is a big city. It's like the second largest city in the state of Washington, isn't it? Or second or third? Yeah, it might be second or third. I don't know. I've only lived here for three or four years. Yeah, I want to talk about what drew you here. Um, Well, let's talk about what drew you here and then we'll talk about your cut flower program. What, let's back up a little bit. And you said you came from uh, a a marketing uh, background and you were in Chicago. And so what is your, what is your past that led you to, to plants and flowers? Sure. I, um, I lived in Chicago for 20 years. I'm originally from Michigan. I was not outdoorsy or anything growing up. I didn't really, I remember one of my best friends in high school always talked about wanting to open a flower shop. How funny. And my mom was really into flowers and my friend would come over to my house and my mom and her would like go through all the flowers we had in our yard. And I was like, all right, guys, come on, let's go listen to some music and, you know, hang out. I I wasn't interested, (laughs) but, um, but I moved to Chicago, studied journalism. Um, and from there really got into like marketing and marketing writing because, journalism jobs. eh? Yeah. We know they're Um, not incredibly lucrative. I can speak to that. (laughs) Yeah. And not plentiful as much anymore, but, um, so I got into marketing and I really enjoyed what I was always really passionate about was helping smaller businesses work on their marketing presence and just kept focusing on like brick and mortar businesses and helping them with things like search engine optimization and standing out and retail experience. And the more and more I got into it, I was like, I should just open a store. I don't want to actually do the marketing. I want to like be these people. Like you, you saw how to make your clients successful. So you just became your own client. Yeah. Um, And I think like you, I don't know if other people do this, but I had a really roundabout way of getting to my career because I was telling myself that I couldn't do it. Like that I couldn't, that that was what I really wanted to do, but that that would never make any money. And of course it wouldn't be successful and it's too risky. And I had a friend one day say, you know, not everyone wants to open a store. She was like, that would actually be my nightmare. I would never want to own a retail business. And I thought, oh, really? I thought that was just what everyone wanted to do. Like that's what everyone secretly wants to do. Right. And it was like, no, I don't. And that gave me this weird kick to say like, oh, that's actually just my dream. Uh-huh. I should just do it. What am I doing? Uh-huh. Um, so that's when I started to make that transition into, yeah, I'm helping all these clients by way of like, you know, there's some deep psychological need for me to like know what they're doing and reverse engineer their businesses so that I can get prepared. Because I think I was trying to figure out how risky it was. Mm-hmm. Everyone tells you, you can't do it, that it's too risky. It's too financially risky and you won't make any money, but it's so not true. But I needed to prepare. I needed all the information right. first before I could right. dive in. And was it you I was talking with? Just re- we, I know we had a couple of conversations this week. Was it when, when I said there's this sort of um, 
old model of the brick and mortar mom and pop flower shop that is is the you know isn't succeeding and people are focusing on that and they're making these conclusions that retail floor flower shops can't make it in, in this day and age but you're proving the the opposite because you've you've not followed that old model you've just defined your new your own model yeah yeah i mean we were talking about that yeah. i think that one of the things that has helped us launch the floral program and make it successful is the fact that we have other streams of revenue while we figure out our floral margins and our waste and all of that while we launch our delivery, because, you know, brick and mortar, people, we, we have a stem bar so people can come in and buy flowers priced by the stem. And then we can build them into arrangements and we have some grab and go floral arrangements, but just figuring out how many flowers to order for any of that retail element was a learning process. And then as we're doing that, we're figuring out how do we get these delivered? Like, how do we run a delivery program and how many, you know, how many of these could we sell based on a certain delivery radius and based on our marketing power, how, and, and how many we, how many people we have on staff to build and prep them. So it's kind of engineering this entire program based on dipping our toe in the water. But, you know, in the beginning, we were probably only selling a couple arrangements for delivery each week. And, you know, I had like spreadsheets and projections that was like, we're going to be selling 10 of these a day Mm -hmm. right from the very beginning. Mm No, Oh no, we did not. (laughs) So it took us a while uh, but we had the runway with the other revenue streams. Right. Interesting. And you, you t- tell us the story about how you dove into flowers uh, in the first place after, you know, quite quite a kind of a long period of just building up the plant business. Yeah. So we, Craigslist, first of all, thank you, Craigslist. <laughs> I hired a woman named Oriana and she had worked at Trader Joe's in the floral department and she had worked in in California for a floral wholesaler. And so she knew quite a bit about flowers and that was her background. And she was also just like an incredibly sharp, organized person, you know, the type of person who like brought a notebook and a copy of a resume to the interview and just like had questions prepared (laughs) that were about business strategy. And I was like, I think you're great. And in the back of my mind that day in the interview, I was like, we, maybe we should use this person's knowledge to get into flowers because I I knew nothing about Mm -hmm. flowers. And then as um, Valentine's day rolled around and we had the, the plant shop, I was just thinking, well, are people going to buy plants for Valentine's Day? How do we make this a big holiday for us? And I thought, Oriana, why don't you just build some bouquets? And it's so funny that I'm thinking back on this because it was just that that moment of pure stupidity on my part. Like people say that you have to be naive to start something not knowing how big you could fail. Right. Um, and that could be perceived by others as an uh, epic risk. And you just right. did it anyway. Because I didn't know any better. I had no idea that it took so much space to make a floral arrangement. So we just did some photography, made some sample bouquets, put them on the website, advertised it on Instagram and to our email list. Hey, we're doing... And I I was trying to think of how do we differentiate the product? If we have a bouquet, why is somebody going to order an arrangement from us and not down the street from Met Market or from any of the other flower shops in town. And I just looked at Oriana and I said, is there a such thing as like, I don't know, organic flowers or sustainable or, and we just started doing research. And that's when we discovered, you know, slow flowers and 
uh, wholesale growers market. And it just really wonderful. And I started learning about what is that book um, about uh, the floral the floral industry oh. that basically just blows the entire the flower Con- flower confidential by Amy Stewart. Yes, yes, I read Flower Confidential. I was getting all into you know I was like that person that was reading a book in bed at night and like saying to my husband like listen to this this is crazy <laughs> who knew this and and we just really then started feeling like well why isn't anyone doing this why aren't more people sourcing locally and talking to customers about you know, why this is happening. Right. We sold, pre-sold a lot of arrangements based on that idea. So we knew it was a big thing, but then we had to actually build like 80 arrangements and, and we couldn't build it in the 750 square foot space. So we used my, I have a sunroom in my house. We built them all there. It was crazy, um, but really successful. I felt we lost money, but we proved the concept. Um, <laughs> we just didn't know what to order and how much waste it, we it would It was have. like your beta, that that Valentine's yeah. Day of 20, what, 2020 or 2020? 2020. Wow, geez. Right yeah, before. Right before. Mm-hmm. Well, and then um, shut it, down. It obviously, yeah. you had the response that revealed what it could become. Yeah. Yeah, I think people were really excited about the concept. And I think we, because of the retail experience that we're already presenting, people understood when we marketed it or positioned it, that it was going to be something different and something new. Mm -hmm. And we kind of figured out a nice craft paper wrap. And um, we now also deliver in a terracotta vase, which I think is really cool. We were trying to figure out like, how do you deliver flowers so that they stand upright. And then went down the rabbit hole of just various packaging options. And I kept thinking, it's a cylinder that's tapered and it's cheap. It's got to be under $3. And I'm like, this is a terracotta long tom that is at the garden center, you know? So we deliver everything in there. We try to keep away from plastics and extra materials and that kind of thing. And I think we've just sort of engineered like a more beautiful delivery and pickup and arrangement experience. I love that. When you say long tom, do you mean those pots that are, uh, have like a little bit of a rim around them and also a drainage hole? Yes. Yeah. So then the recipient can receive flowers in that cool packaging, but then go ahead and maybe come back to your shop and buy a plant to put it in, put in it yeah, later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And they can reuse that. It's terracotta, you know, it's like you can give it to somebody, you can use it in the garden, put an herb in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, is it correct on your website, you have a de- free delivery for purchases over $25? Am I reading that right? Or we just do, no, it's delivery, but not free delivery. I know people read that as free oh. and we're like, no, it's not free. Oh my gosh. I, I mis- misstated that. I mean, delivery is a huge cost. So I guess, I guess what you're offering is the convenience of delivery. If they order a large enough order, then, then they'll qualify for that. Right, exactly. Because we also sell plants on our website. So people can buy plants for delivery, potted plants for delivery. Um, and we just want to make sure it's meeting a certain threshold so that it makes sense for us to pull and prep it and yeah. put it in a bag and all yeah. that. But all of our floral stuff is, I think, over 25. So sure. it all qualifies for delivery. And do you use a service or do you ha- do that in-house? We use a service. We started doing it in-house. I didn't know what I was doing. Once again, naivete saves the day or, you know, starts you on the path. I was like, we'll just drive these around because we were delivering all of our, when we shut down for COVID and we were closed for two and a half months, me and a couple of our staff people were driving deliveries all over Tacoma and the greater Tacoma area, you know? Um, 
And so I bet, we, and I bet you were busy. I bet people we were, were calling you constantly. We were so busy. I can't even, I've, I've never experienced something like that because people got so interested in houseplants and so interested in supporting us, but we did not have the infrastructure to do any of the things that we were doing. We had to completely engineer how we even did delivery or, you know, we had to make it up. We were building the track as the train was rolling. Mm. And we, from that experience, we sort of had this idea in our head that we would be doing like 40, 50 deliveries a day because it was how we were, that's how much we were selling. But then as that tapered off, we were getting like maybe one a day or a couple a week. And when you have a couple deliveries a week or one a day, it doesn't make sense to pay a driver to drive all the way to like federal way from Tacoma right. and back. You're losing money. So when we started, we had a person who was in-house going to do all the delivery driving, but it soon became very clear that that wasn't going to be cost effective. And so we started doing research into various services that do um, essentially like a ride share for delivery. Um, and we found one called Roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. Um, and we're currently using them because they integrate with Shopify. They do real-time uh, delivery pricing. So we really, can we say we deliver within a 200-mile radius of Tacoma, but we can really deliver all over the country if somebody wants to pay a certain price. And we can deliver down to California or wow. whatever. Um, but you know, we do get deliveries from all over the region and it's pretty cost effective just to eat from Tacoma to Seattle. Even it's maybe like anywhere between 20 and $30 for like a next day delivery. I guess it would be comparable. Is it comparable to like the, I don't know, the meal, the grub hubs of the world, um, that kind of service, or is it more like a gig economy kind of service? It's a gig economy service. So the yeah. people, which I, I am not super pleased with. I will say that as a business owner and as a person who believes that people should be supported in their work and that we should have a strong social safety net, like gig economy is not something I love. Um, but also I think we, I think we have to make decisions as business owners to try to grow the business and then do our best to yeah. do something better in the world in the bigger picture, right? Um, but it works. And I think the drivers, you know, we've had really great drivers. We have a lot of the same people who become familiar with our business because I think Walmart also uses them. Hmm. So we're one of the little businesses that I think is just like a funner experience yeah. to drive for. And who doesn't love getting flowers? <laughs> it's so interesting because in 2018 at the Slow Flowers Summit, which which was at that particular one was in Washington, D.C., we had a panel on new models of transportation in floral. And Jonathan Weber, who is co-owns uh, Green Center in Pittsburgh, who works in uh, technology, he's sort of he and his husband have Green Center, but it's really, Jonathan's like got an outside job. And he talked about this exact concept, uh, predicting that there were going to be these innovative ways to, um, n you know, to move flowers. And mainly he was talking about flowers from point A to point B that weren't FedEx. And so I've got to pull out that video of that presentation and send it to you because he'll feel so great gratified when I say, Jonathan, this is exactly what you forecast. And now, you know, businesses like Fernseed are doing this in Seattle and Tacoma. And, um, and it probably is, um, I don't know. It's not just urban focused. You could do something like this in a, in a suburban or uh, less populated 
market if if that service um, existed all around the country. Yeah, I, right? and I believe they are all over the country. Mm. Um, yeah, we've had some really good success. Um, you know, at first, I think I was worried that we wouldn't see that we wouldn't have enough drivers, mm-hmm. right? Because it's really based on it is sort of like trying to hail a cab on New Year's Eve, or you know what? I, it's like it's based on availability, and we've only ever once had. Uh, an order that didn't get picked up because it was it's, it was going to Ocean Shores. Oh, right, <laughs> like, too far. <laughs> yeah, um, but, I from experience can say what I would want to charge for a five hours round trip. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think so. The way that they do it is just logistics, right? Yeah. It's on the back end. They're they're condensing a bunch of things that are going to the same place and creating these routes. And I think there are so many. Um, new and innovative opportunities. Cause I worked in tech for a little while too. And I was really excited to see that things like crowd sharing and you know, crowdsourcing and yeah. different tech platforms kind of open up the, the gates, not the gates, but you know, it's like, it takes down the barriers for people to access technology that before you would have to had custom built or hire drivers. It's just, it's breaking yeah. down the barriers for those startup costs and fees and just figuring that out. And we really, we look at that stuff all the time. That's and so we're smart. Wow. Well, you used a term that I really uh, caught my ear at the very beginning of this episode. And I want to uh, ask you to talk about this. And then, then I have a few more questions. And um, I hope we can share photos of your shop and your flowers and plants on our show notes, because I want people to meet the fern seed uh, visually. Uh, but you used the term Amazon proof, and I am so intrigued by that. I think I know what it means, but how could you define it and uh, just riff on that a little bit? Sure. I think that people's experience of shopping is changing. And I mean, we all know this, right? Um, more people shop online. Nobody goes to the mall anymore. I mean, the mall decimated the downtown, right? So nobody shops downtown and then everyone's going to the mall. Now there's no mall and we just shop on Amazon and we're used to getting everything that we want, anything that we want. I mean, do you remember in the 80s when you would have to drive, or, you know, before before the internet, when you would have to drive around looking for a thing? I mean, right. I remember going with my mom to find like a certain type of scissors or something right. for snowing. And it's like, you know... You don't have to do that anymore. Everyone is used to having things right at their fingertips, but then there's something missing Mm -hmm. in people's lives. And I think what's missing is the connection to an experience and the ability to hear, see, taste, touch, smell, and connect with other humans. And I think we've seen, particularly through COVID, that that experience is vital to people's happiness and lives. I mean, I feel completely disconnected from the world because I can't walk into a coffee shop and sit there for 15 minutes. I didn't know how important that experience Mm -hmm. was to me. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to really focus on supporting those people who are willing to take the risk and put the energy into bringing those experiences to our towns and cities But I think that what those people ultimately do really need to think about is how are you going to differentiate from those behemoths that could just swallow you at any moment the second they decide they want to pivot into your industry? Mm. And so I guess that's what I mean by Amazon proof. I'm hoping that we can be that. I hope so too. I mean, it sounds like you've been really intentional about your choices 
in the against you know the backdrop of covid which wasn't on the horizon when you started and and god you were only a year into it and this then you had to endure and withstand and outsmart all the barriers of of covid um and you have and i think what something else you said uh struck me which was you don't want to be in a position to compete on price and creating an environment that people want to come to. And is increasingly as our state and other states are letting retail and restaurants go to more than a, a fraction of percentage capacity. I mean, we're at, are you at, you have, do you have any limits right now? You have like 50% or something. We're at 50% in phase three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by maybe, maybe your June 21st solstice party, <laughs> you'll be able to, um, you know, open that garage door and, and let people feel safe and, and browse just the, yeah. you talked about sitting in a coffee shop and I think about browsing, which isn't allowed right now. And that's part of a retail experience that, that we want to get back to as well. Right. Because when there's a line out the door, you don't feel comfortable taking your time and just hanging out. Yeah. It's, it's very rushed. I agree. Or pressured. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So what workshops do you intend to do uh, in the new space, the larger space? Um, or do you already have them on your website, on your calendar? We don't. We're working on it right now. We um, just hired a woman who has some experience kind of doing craft workshops and she worked at Paper Source and she floated me. I have her email. I got to check it out of all of her different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're really um, listening to our customers and figuring out like what they want. Um, but then also trying to do some fun, innovative stuff that we're thinking up. But we, you know, we love doing really simple things that people can do together. So we've done workshops in the past on like how to mount a staghorn fern onto a board. Um, we've done macrame classes. I think we want to get into terrarium building. Um, we're going to do some stuff with carnivorous plants this summer. That's awesome. And then of course we'll do floral design um, and floral workshops as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you have, I, I noticed you have some kits that are plant, uh, plant, small at home plant projects that people can do. So you're, that's part of education as well. Like the propagation kit I thought was adorable. Yeah. We, when we were closed, we just, I mean, I immediately went into crazy, like what, how do we survive this? Like, what can we sell mode? And, um, I thought, well, people just don't want to buy just plain old plants online. Let's give them a reason to want to buy plants from us. And so we invented the kits as a way. I was thinking, do you know the Babysitter's Club, that series of books? Yes. Anna Martin from like their <laughs> So I was a big Babysitter's Club reader. I think that was like one of my original, like, here's how to start a business. Like, you're <laughs> turning. And they did these things called kid kits where they would like package together different things for kids to play with when they went and babysat oh, right. the kids. And I was just thinking of like, what could we do? And I think somewhere in the deep recesses of like my mind, I was thinking kits, like plant kits, plants <laughs> along at home. But Creative. really it was one of our staff, Amelia, who refined this idea. I mean, she, she was like, we could just do, here's a pot, here's a plant here's all the materials you need and teach it to kids who are not in school. Um, and I think this is before we were all like completely fatigued of online learning. Right. Right. Um, but we did these, she hosted them. It was really her entire project, but she pulled it all together and hosted the online walkthroughs of, um, of how to plant 
it's just basically a plant and pot. And then she did Instagram lives of walking people through the process. Yeah. So we've kind of refined those now when we have Vimeo videos and everything to go along Mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Wow. Well, this has been so fun to hear about your business and just to talk about business because people listening to the podcast are, they're mostly floral entrepreneurs. They might be growers, they might be designers, or they might be a hybrid of a farmer florist. And uh, they all have something they love to do. And that sometimes running the business isn't what they love to do. And that's the part where your your insights and advice and just your experience sharing it is going to inspire so many people. And, and I just feel like that's the whole purpose of these conversations. So thanks for being so generous with, with telling us your story. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really inspired by what everyone here is doing and everyone listening. I think it's why we feel like we can do what we do because I think people want that. I mean, from my experience, if I can say our customers coming in, they may not know as much about flowers or feel as connected, but they want that story. And Mm. the more and more we learn and tell them, they are so excited to support flower farmers and growers, especially locally. And and they want that a lot. Wow. That's great. And that just reveals that you are um, invested in knowing your demographic and knowing your niche. And uh, that takes time just to in conversation and communication with with everyone who walks through the door or everyone who, sh- who has the online experience. Um, but that's embedded, embedding you deeper into your community. And once we everyone gets vaccinated, it's going to blow up, Catherine. <laughs> so <laughs> get I'm, ready. Uh, I'm working through hiring more people right now. So I'm trying to prepare for that. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much. This is so just so, so inspiring to talk to you. And um, I, as soon as I can get uh, out and about, I'm going to come come see you in person. And um, you know, I got that date on the calendar. So hopefully that solstice, that fern seed solstice party, sounds really magical. Oh yeah, it's going to be great. Awesome, great. Well, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Okay, bye bye. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so inspired and encouraged by the entrepreneurial story Catherine has shared about diversification, changing course, and taking risks. Our next sponsor thank you goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. Dating back to the launch of the Slow Flowers podcast in July of 2013, we have recorded a rich history of conversations with amazing people in the world of plants, flowers, and design. We feel so proud of each one of our guests, many of whom can say their very first podcast appearance happened here. And when other accolades come their way, well, we take pride in those achievements too. So this week, I want to give a shout out to two of our past Slow Flowers podcast guests, who are distinguished recipients of the 2021 Great American Gardeners Award from the American Horticultural Society, announced earlier this month. As a past 
Great American Gardener Award recipient myself, I know how special it is to receive this achievement and recognition. Huge congratulations goes to Perla Sofia Curbelo Santiago, garden podcaster and radio show host in San Juan, Puerto Rico, for receiving the B.Y. Morrison Communication Award, which recognizes effective and inspirational communication through print, radio, television, and online, advancing public interest and participation in horticulture. You can find a link to our August 2018 interview with Perla about her business, AgroChic, in episode 364. I'll have a link to that in our show notes. And let's give major props to floral installation artist and creator of the famed Flower House Detroit, Lisa Wad, recipient of the Francis Jones Potker Award, which recognizes significant contributions to floral design in publications on the platform and to the public. Lisa is currently working with Slow Flowers on membership projects, so you may have heard from her. She has also appeared on the Slow Flowers podcast on a number of occasions, so I'll share links to those episodes in today's show notes as well. You've heard them here first, and now they're receiving accolades from the Top Horticultural Association. Picture me here with a big smile on my face. I'm so happy for you both, Perla and Lisa. Our next sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 708,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks to support Slow Flower's ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more Slow Flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Bye.